IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard and engage in some early album of the year prognostication. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. Be sure to ask him what a Swimo is. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I just love when we lead off with a article from Alternative Press. Um, that's how. That's yes. how. That's how you know it's a good episode. Alternative Press breaking news on the crossover of Taylor Swift fans and emo fans. You brought this article to my attention right before we started recording. I just want to read the first paragraph. What's something Taylor Swift and emo bands have in common? While that statement feels like some sort of chicken crossing the road jive, jive. you'd be surprised what similarities Swifties and swoopy-haired emos share. Whether it's describing lyrics, poetically mapping out the cruel fate of a broken heart, or how the media has often vilified both of those vulnerable lyrics... This Their common denominator seems to lie within their fan base. Self-described Swimos sit at the crossroads between loving Swift and emo music, singing along to moody tracks like Better Than Revenge in an equally moody dark, and they also wear dark clothes. While it might sound like a concept straight out of Tumblr, the Swimo army is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about this? <laughs> I mean... As a guardian of the emo brand, this, like the Swimo movement, I was looking on... Twitter, there seems to be real numbers with this thing. Uh, I mean, you are you are not a swoopy-haired emo. No, I'm like all. a no-haired emo person. But, you know, I, th- <laughs> I think you can look at the When We Were Young festival happening in Las Vegas or not happening in Las Vegas last weekend. And, you know, I think that that, along with the popularization of, like, Emo Night LA and so forth, is more or less just proof that, like, emo, much like Taylor Swift, is, like, popular kid music um but you know as far as like the crossover between my emo and taylor swift like at work the other day um i I went this past saturday to see death cab for cutie and one of the biggest taylor swift fans uh in the vicinity like i think she's around 32 33 years old she was like oh death cab like they make me just think of 2010 it was just like the most devastating diss a person could ever give me. So, they, they, like, it's not even like the the sort of mutual respect that like Taylor Swift shows to like Jimmy Eat World. Where, well, actually, no, it exactly is because there was that Apple commercial where she listens to the middle. And it's like I used to listen to this in middle school. I mean, yeah, it's a good bump for Jimmy Eat World, and also you gotta have to wonder like how you know they feel about that particular praise. Yeah, you know, I mean, they've uh, aged into classic rock. They're in their classic rock period, so you're going to hear comments like that more and more as they get older. Um, I got to say, this week on social media was really rough. Yes. And it was because there was a new Taylor Swift album that came out last Friday, Midnight's. Maybe you've heard about it. Uh, What is it about Taylor Swift? (laughs) That just, when she puts out a new record, it just, it destroys 
social media. It is like it is the uh, it's like a hurricane of toxicity mm. just sweeps through. It's like a hurricane Katrina of toxicity every single time she puts out a record. I mean, you have people that like her way too much, and then you have people who are reacting to the people who like her way too much. So they dislike her way too much. It just becomes unbearable. And I feel like this has lasted you know, longer than other album cycles for her. I, I, it just keeps going on and on. And it's not like some other pop star who puts out a record and has a lot of fans. I feel like there's something unique to Taylor Swift, and I don't know what it is. But, but she ruins, like, the, I mean, like, Twitter's a terrible platform anyway, yes. but, like, on Taylor Swift, like, if she puts out a record, it's like, evacuate the area, <laughs> you know, take a bus to Houston, <laughs> get out of town, because it is going to be terrible. Like, what is it with her? I mean, uh, you, you, you bring up, like, how we sometimes have to, like, prepare ourselves for like Taylor Swift day, you know, like, um, as someone who works in mental health, I think of the concept of coping ahead. Basically, if you've seen the rehearsal, you know what a cope ahead is. It's just basically, <laughs> right. it's preparing for like a uncomfortable situation. And yeah, I mean, like Taylor Swift does tend to make, uh, Twitter in particular, I don't know about Instagram or, you know, uh, be real or what have you being unusable on Taylor Swift album release days. But I think what it is, is that as you alluded to, it kind of combines the worst components of, you know, pop star stan Twitter and the worst parts of music critic Twitter, which are both, you know, bad in their own ways. And I don't think any real, any pop artist pulls it off the same way. Like the only artist I can think of who's at the same level of acclaim and popularity might be Beyonce. But the thing about Beyonce is that, um, you know, as much praise as she gets, I think that most people at least allow the fact that she's not really supposed to be relatable. That's like kind of the point of Beyonce. She's seen as this like divine untouchable figure and you really can't get away with acting like she's singing about your life in any real way. Whereas Taylor Swift, on the other hand, you know, despite being, I guess we're looking at what, like 15, 16 years running, like the one of the most recognizable pop stars on the planet to some degree, Every, people can like hear her music and say, oh yeah, this is stuff I experienced. Not just like the underlying emotions, but the actual plots of it. And even if you don't, you know, really care about her music, you can kind of follow the plot of her life as if it's like the Bachelorette or something along those lines. So you have that. And as you also kind of alluded to, you have, what I consider to be maybe the original sin of poptimism, which is that Pitchfork didn't review 1989. And so unlike, you know, people who love Adele or people who love Beyonce, uh, people who are Swifties, at least in the critical sphere, can still have kind of a chip on their shoulders and feel like underdogs. So, yeah, that can we can we put the kibosh on that? We should we, we should have done this years ago, but the underdog element or the idea that you have to like correct the record with Taylor Swift, it's been corrected, okay? Yeah. Taylor Swift is like one of the most acclaimed, discussed artists on the planet. There is so much Taylor Swift conversation out there. They're teaching courses on her at NYU, okay? Mm -hmm. They're not doing that with like 
the indie rock band du jour, okay? Taylor Swift, uh, she just engenders... And again, like I, I keep saying Taylor Swift. I'm not blaming her necessarily. It's not her fault that people apparently go insane. They lose their damn minds every time <laughs> she puts out a record. And that's, a, that's true on both sides, by the way. I, you know, there are... Like I said, I think there's people who dislike her way too much. And it's because they're sick of hearing about her all the time. It's a very reactionary stance, I think. Because, look, I think she's fine. I, there are records of hers that I like quite a bit. There's other records that I think are boring and not that great. But I think she's, a, she's obviously a good artist. Um, but the hysteria around her it seems to be building and not declining <laughs> which i find to be intriguing because as you said she has she's been around now i believe her first record came out in 2006 that sounds about right so we're looking at 16 years now like her being like a mainstream pop star that's about 10 years like i would say red is the beginning of that maybe speak now mm-hmm. um but over a decade of her being a very visible Pop star. There was that period in like the mid two thousand tens where there was a backlash against her. Lover, right? I don't know if you with that. No, out. it was like Reputation. Oh, that's her one. Yeah, and and people were blaming her for uh, Donald Trump getting elected because she didn't <laughs> endorse Hillary Clinton. Like all that insanity. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, Fun times. Yeah, she weathered that. It seemed like oh wow, Taylor Swift. Maybe she's gonna go into a period of decline now because. It's her fault that Donald Trump is president. But then people forgot about that. And now we're just like, people are ripping their hair out of their skull when she puts out a new record. She has to stop putting out records so often. I think she's put out (laughs) so much music in the last few years. People just can't take it. It's like they're just overloaded with um, endorphins right now. People need to chill. They need to like smoke a cigarette on the back porch. for a while just to calm down about Taylor Swift Um, let's get to our mailbag segment and thank you all for writing in Uh, it's always great to hear from our listeners you can hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com I think we have a good question this week this was an interesting premise that was introduced uh, by our listener Uh, do you want to read this letter Ian? I do hi Steve and Ian here's a question for you It was often said about the Velvet Underground that while they might not have sold many albums when they were active, everyone who bought one went out and started a band. Hmm, I I, I haven't heard that one before. Uh, Which current artists or artists... That was a Brian Eno quote. Yeah. (laughs) It's not exactly like that. I know. Brian Eno said that. (laughs) Which current artists or artists from the recent past do you think might be considered the Velvet Underground of their generation? A band's band, so to speak. I, I can... I I love this energy right here coming up. Here's my nomination. Eagles. Not like the Hotel California band, but like it's like Seagulls, but without an S. I think you can draw a pretty straight line from them to the current crop of post-punk headliners like Idols, Fontaine's DC, Shame, etc. I think that self-titled Eagles debut in hindsight was incredibly influential, and I bet all the bands I have mentioned have copies of it. Now let's hear your picks. John G., Charlotte, North Carolina. So, that Eagles record, when did that come out? Was that like 2012 or so? I want to say 13 or 14. And by, this is like pretty, not elite level remembering some guys, but, you know, at least all-star remembering some guys. 
Uh, came out in 2014. I was almost convinced that you wrote this review for Pitchfork, <laughs> but, you, but you didn't. Uh, we are going to be referencing another one of your reviews later on in this episode. Excellent. I, I, I think I found... Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference it right now, because when I read this question, the band that came to mind, and it's not a perfect fit, because I... I think that they're not necessarily just the band's band. They do have an audience. But I was thinking about Dive, mm. that band. Uh, in particular, their second record, uh, which you did review for Pitchfork. Uh, and uh, I got to look at this quick, because I never get this album title right. <laughs> it is it is one of the most awkwardly titled great records of recent years. Is the Is the Is R. Great record. Great record a confounding album title. I never get that album title right. Is the, is the is our really frustrating uh, capitalization in that one. Yeah, it's uh it's almost like they were trying to put out a record that people wouldn't want to listen to uh <laughs> when they titled it that even though it's a, it's it's a great record. And it's interesting cuz you wrote the review for Pitchfork. It got an 8.1 mm. but no best new music which is about as high as you can get, I think, without getting the best new music. I guess they might push it to an 8.2. Yeah, that's possible. But sometimes Maybe that, 8. Do- 3. that sometimes does, and then it sometimes doesn't. I mean, to me, what that says is that that, uh, that the people at the, at the site, or at least you, really like that record, but we don't want to give it the uh, institutional endorsement, you know, for whatever reason. <laughs> It just suggests to me that that record was a little shrugged at, I think, mm. when it came out. And it now seems like an album. I feel like I hear echoes of that record in a lot of bands that I hear in 2022. Um, another band, and I might be crazy for suggesting this. Please <laughs> tell me if I'm crazy for, for suggesting this. But what about Foxygen? Wow. Because I feel like, and we're going to be talking about King Gizzard here in a bit, you know, this generation of retro sounding bands that are drawing on classic rock history and deconstructing it and putting it back together in different shapes. That's a very popular aesthetic. I feel like Foxygen were sort of on the leading edge of that, at least like in modern indie. And then you have someone like Jonathan Rado, who has become a pretty big producer in the indie slash rock world, you know, working with Father John Misty, The Killers, Wise Blood. Uh, he's worked on, I think, every Whitney record. Um, so I, I kind of want to suggest Foxygen. I don't know if that's crazy or not. Like, what do you think about that? I would say that Foxygen is a band who of whom you of whom you can hear echoes in a lot of modern music, particularly for like the sort of uh, indie rock that tends to be like popular, but not particularly critically acclaimed like the bands that like you see on the 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 schedule for like thousand cap venues in your town and you just haven't seen them reviewed at all that being said i think there's just so much negativity around foxygen uh like soft canceled or hard canceled can't really tell that oh, that's it, true yeah that I, I i think you're correct but i don't think you're going to see people bringing them up so they're kind of they make me think of Eagles as well. Well, Jonathan Rado is the non-canceled yes. part. Of, Sam of Francis, that Sam Francis, yeah. the person for whom the rumors swirl. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 put the focus on on Rado because I think he's doing a lot of good work. 
Yeah, so I think, like, Eagles is kind of similar to Foxygen in that uh, they might not be, like, influential, but they may have anticipated a greater trend a couple years ahead of time. Speaking of, like, soft cancel, I want to... The thing that I remember Eagles for is their Pitchfork Rising article from 2014. I'm just going to... I'm just going to like read a, a brief section of it. So they wrote this like open letter on their blog. Uh, I, they went to South by Southwest and they criticized, and th- these are all direct quotes. So don't like hoist me up on, uh, I don't know, hoist me by my own petard. I, I, I don't know why that phrase came out. But ahem, <laughs> a, among the things that called out, all quote, and these are all quotes, all beach bands sucking each other's dicks and rubbing the press's clit. Bands that employ disgusting Afrobeat sounds. <laughs> bands that get attention from music industry heads because you are girls or have girls in your band. So that's what uh. I remember Eagles for. This is from their Rising article, by the way. Um, not a great band. I, but nonetheless, I think I, I could say, like, you know, parentheses, derogatory. They may have, like, set the uh, tone for a lot of bands I don't like. I don't know if they would call... I don't know if, like, Idols or, like, Fontaine's DC would, like, say, oh, yeah, we were definitely influenced by Eagles. But, yeah, I guess you can make that argument. I do think Dive is a pretty good choice. Um, There's always going to be kind of a thriving uh, wave of heavy music slash shoegaze that bands draw from Dive a lot. And... They, they do so in ways that kind of show you where dive skill lies. I hear a lot of kind of piss poor imitations of dive in the same way. I hear a lot of piss poor imitations of always. But as far as like bands, bands, this one was a pretty obvious answer to me. And that spirit of the beehive, mm. like since the jump, like ever since the guy who was in this band left Glockamora, which, you know, I'm a little pissed that I did not do a 10-year anniversary for Just Married, one of the great emo revival records. Um, this has been a band that, like, everyone in Philly and otherwise say, like, yeah, this band's the shit. Like, we love this band. Um, and right now, it, sound, it seems like their, I don't know, popularity is maybe catching up with their reputation to the point where they might even be, like, just a touch overrated. The thing about Spirit of the Beehive, though, is that um, they've been compared to Animal Collective in certain ways for being like a bit abstract, noisy, and similar to Animal Collective in like the late thousands. Uh, this band's influence is like kind of turning me against them in a little bit of a way because I hear a lot of bands who like write really good songs and then they start saying, oh yeah, we're really blown away by Spirit of the Beehive. And then they start you know, get it like moving away from writing good songs and just doing like weird sound effects and like tape manipulation. It's like, uh, I don't know. Like I'd rather have songs. I mean, I get bummed out in most ways when I hear bands say they're influenced by spirit of the beehive. I like spirit of the beehive, but I start, especially in Philly, I'm feeling like bands maybe need to kind of shy away from that. Yeah. It's almost like how a lot of musicians love Frank Zappa. <laughs> you know, like, because he's just a musician's musician. He's like super talented uh, as a as a player and as a composer. But there's also a lot of annoying, obnoxious aspects to his music. I say this: I'm a Frank Zappa fan, but he's also maybe the most obnoxious musician of all time. Um, but yeah, I think there is something similar with Spirit of the Beehive, where if you're a band, just like on a technical level or from an ideas level. You look at a band like that and you're 
you can't help but be impressed because they're doing something that seems really unique to them. I think uh, we need I think we need to square the circle here and like say the unsaid, which is that between like Foxygen's kind of you know gnarly story and Frank Zappa. I think if we could, I think if we look past like January 6th, Ariel Pink would be a definite answer for this because he was just yeah. so massively influential. Uh, That's true. And, you know, for, for a lot of like homemade, like a lot of, uh, you know, home recording uh, artists. And, you know, maybe, maybe he still is, but no one's going to admit it. At least not now. Yeah. I think his, his approval rating among musicians <laughs> is probably much higher than it is among people in the press. Uh, I, I, I think if you get a lot of indie musicians alone off the record, they would probably be stumping for Ariel Pink, even if they are turned off by all the insanity around him in recent years. Um, let's get to the meat of our episode here. And we're going to talk about uh, King Gizzard here. In a, in, a, in a bit, I'm excited to get to that because I feel like people have been asking us to talk about this band. And we just had to wait for a month where they put <laughs> out three albums. Uh, so this is the appropriate time to talk about King Gizzard. But I, I wanted to get your take on this because we're about a month away, believe it or not, from year-end lists going up on music publications. Maybe even less than a month. I feel like in England... You start seeing year-end lists like in mid-November, <laughs> you know, like pre-Thanksgiving. But usually, you know, after Thanksgiving is when a lot of places start posting their lists. So I thought we could talk for a minute about album of the year prognostication. You know, this is us bringing the sports cast concept <laughs> into indie cast because I want to talk about albums like their their teams here. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about the albums that you and I like, the albums that we think are going to be the best albums of the year. I'm talking about like critical consensus. Like when we get to the end of the year and my friend Rob Mitchum, he puts together his spreadsheet of all the year-end lists and tabulates the comprehensive score of like what albums did the best, who's going to come out on top. And I want to talk about the overall favorites and then indie favorites on those lists. Um, is it fair to say that Beyonce is uh, the Houston Astros at this point? Because uh, you know, she's from Houston, so it, yes. it works there too. But Houston Astros, of course, are in the World Series. It looks like they're going to win. I would expect them to win. They look dominant. Is it Beyonce's to lose? I mean, who's going to challenge Beyonce for the number one critical consensus album of the year? Is, are there any serious challenges to, challengers to her? I mean, please don't make me compare Taylor Swift to the Phillies. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I was happy that you kind of avoided bringing up the Padres just getting absolutely smoked in this. But um, well, you know, hey, look, they had a good run. They had I a think good they're, run. I think they're going to be good next year. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming like a Padres fan. I, I'm a very casual baseball fan, but I like that team. Um, but yeah, because. Am I right? I mean, I feel, I feel like Beyonce is almost a lock. Like, if I was doing odds, I'd say she's like a three to one favorite to uh, get on with the year. I don't really, I keep forgetting whether three to one or one to three is like the better one. But if we are doing the off track betting, it it does a bit remind me of um, 
baseball where like once the Dodgers and Mets and the Braves and the Yankees started losing, like a lot of mainstream like sports writers were like getting super pissed about like how this doesn't represent the best of baseball. I think this is like, I think this is kind of the mirror image of that where, um, you know, 2000, 2021 was kind of, I guess like a down year where, uh, at least as far as like, you know, like instant classic slash like obvious chalk in the year end list. Like, do you actually remember, like, uh, do you actually remember what the number one album was, uh, for Pitchfork? Uh, in 2021 no i do not what was it jasmine sullivan hotels okay what about stereo gum yeah there wasn't a consensus i mean i think this year you have beyonce as the favorite um you know the rosalia record that's the highest rated album on metacritic right now i think that one's just kind of weird enough to like you know, for places to put that at number one and feel pretty good about it, even though that one's also like super popular. So maybe that's the next contender. Mm-hmm. You have the weekend, which is my favorite big ticket pop record of the year. Um, but that album came out in January. Yes, I just feel like that's too long ago. It's going to be in the running, but I I, I feel like it's not going to have the heat of those first two records that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Bad Bunny's got to be up there too. Yeah. Okay. So Bad Bunny, we'll put him there. I, would you say? Okay. So we're gonna say Beyonce number one mm-hmm. contender. Rosalia, a strong number two. Mm-hmm. Do you think Bad Bunny's at three or is absolutely he... three okay. or two? Because that three one or two? just super fucking popular, really critically acclaimed. I mean, like we could literally see like an all pop star top five. Well, that's that's how we've been trending now for a while. I mean, you know, the circling back to our conversation before about Taylor Swift being perceived as this underdog in critical circles, that's a total load of horse manure at this point. I mean, we're we're well beyond the pitchfork not reviewing 1989 era by now. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think the weekend. I think those those three seem like the strongest. I think The Weeknd is a notch below, even though, again, that's my favorite of those albums. Um, you got the Harry Styles record. Yeah, can't count him is, out. It's been well-reviewed. I do feel like there's enough people who feel like that that he's kind of mid, mm. that he's not going to be number one. No. He'll, he might be top ten at uh, certain places but not number one I, I think Taylor Swift too you know this 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 record we haven't really talked about the record we're not going <laughs> to review we're not going to review Midnight's I don't it's over discussed at this point I'm not that interested in reviewing it my perception of how this record has been received and I I'll, I'll just say this isn't a review but I've listened to the record I like the record I think it's a I think it's a pretty good record it's like a it's like a lesser 1989 is how I would describe it, it it's it has the sound of 1989 Without having like the obvious smashes that that that, that record had, mm-hmm. um, I feel like Midnight's has already settled into like oh this is probably like a second tier Taylor Swift record like that doesn't seem like a serious album of the year contender to me. Mm. I think it'll get I I think it'll be like top five in certain places like I don't see it getting out of the top five of Rolling Stone. Um, well, Rolling Stone will, and they'll probably put Harry Styles in the yeah. top five too. Yeah. Um, but so uh, we're both saying we think Beyonce is a strong favorite. 
for the album of the year. Absolutely. It's got the right combination of popularity, like, you know, political timeliness. And um, yeah, I think what we're going to see this year is this kind of alignment of how, like, wow, like the pops, like pop, like pop, the biggest artists on the planet are also making the best music. How great, you know, like, and I think this is where like sports and, music criticism are just like incompatible because there's so much back padding that goes along with these year end lists. Like we finally, finally toppled our, 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 the hegemony of like having the national B album of the year, which like never really happened. I mean, right. Like, but, uh, you know, this, this gives the sense that like music really is sports and that these, you know, people overcame the odds and, showed their excellence but in reality like critics sometimes forget that we're the ones making the lists you know i think this kind of happened with you know pitchfork's 90s list as well as well where it was just seen as like a triumph when in reality it's like no the the it was just a very different a very different subset of people making the list compared to the ones who did it in 2003 like we do have much more control over it than uh it comes across yeah i mean Going back to your music and sports analogy, it'd be like if all sports writers just loved the New York Yankees. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and they all loved, which a lot of them do, yeah. but like, or they all loved the the Dodgers. Yeah, you know, even people in San Diego, in Philadelphia, they'd be like, no, we we like the Dodgers, we like uh, the Yankees, we, you know, the, the the richest teams are the best teams. Uh, and look, they often again, are. <laughs> there are records in this class that I really love. Again, the weekend record is going to be in my top five. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think that's a great record. And I think the Beyonce record is really good. These are all like, they're good records. Uh, but yeah, the idea that we have to correct the record now to properly recognize pop music, that just seems like such an outdated idea at this point to a ridiculous degree. All right, well, let's talk about the indie albums of the year, like the album that's going to end up at number six or seven on the Rolling Stone <laughs> list. What do you think that album will be? Like, what is the consensus favorite indie album of 2022? Well, I think that in kind of in line with, you know, the pop dominance of year end list, which I anticipate, I think the highest rate, the highest ranking indie album on year end list is going to be the most popular one which is wet leg yes uh, that one's going to show up on every single one um yeah probably I agree. top I, 10 yeah I, I i totally agree that they're like the new heim you know basically yeah. at this point like how heim is uh the go-to indie band for like pop leaning critics mm-hmm. i think wet leg absolutely is going to be that and i think wet leg they have a pretty wide constituency where you have the pop fans that like them you also have like 50 year old guys who <laughs> love wet leg like that's the band from like the middle-aged dude indie community that i've heard the most about like have you heard this band wet leg they're so fun yeah so they're covering all the bases um it's interesting about big thief mm. uh where, you know, their record, I think that came out in February. So that, that was a while ago now. Very acclaimed. I was among the people who loved that record. That's going to be a high-ranking record for me. I feel like there was like a backlash against Big Thief as the year went on. And you had, you know, you had the issue with them booking a show in Israel. That was controversial. But I, I think even more than that, there's like the broification 
of Big Thief, if, <laughs> if we remember that narrative. How could I forget? I think that's a legitimate... I, I don't think it's a legitimate point. I think it's a legitimate sort of backlash. I think I think there are people who are a little hostile to Big Thief because there's a perception that like a certain kind of guy likes Big Thief or a certain kind of indie fan likes Big Thief. And there's also the fact that they wear like baggy clothes yeah. and huge hats and stuff, <laughs> like all these superficial things that work against them. So I I would have thought they'd be a lock early in the year, but I don't think that they are now. I I feel like there's going to be people who just flat out ignore that record out of principle, along with the people who love it. Yeah. Am I I right on that? I think that their star has, I don't know, fallen a little bit. Like, not in the sense that, like, you know, they've taken, like, a real hit as far as touring or whatever, but I don't think it's going to have the same momentum going into, I mean, like... It's not a, it's not reflector, you know. If we're gonna bring up like a double album, from, but um, I mean, it's a. I mean, I think people. I mean, it's a great record. No, it's great. I listened to it just the other day because, like, I'm in, you know, reviewing for year end mode, and yeah, like there are parts where like, ah, oh, maybe it's a bit overrated. Maybe it needs to be. Nah, this is a good record. Yeah, I mean, look, there's people who don't like Adrian Linker's voice, so you have that aspect. Huh. But I, I really feel like with Big Thief, it's not really about the music it's about the stuff around the music oh absolutely that that turns people off but like the music itself i mean i think that they're a really good band but they're gonna be on ear on list but i don't think that they were like i would have thought they were a lock i thought like when that record came out to me it sounded like this is an instant classic this is gonna be uh a big record at the end of the year and now i'm not quite so sure i think in some places it will be in some places it won't be i think on the indie pecking order it might be behind wet leg and maybe even always who are riding more momentum at this time right and are more likable in many many ways (laughs) yeah always you know again you have the record that comes out in october versus the record that comes out in february and uh, people are listening to blue rev a lot at this time of the year it's going to be fresher in people's minds i know you've compared them to spoon in the past in terms of just their consistency and like how people in the music writing community, I think regard them as like a reliable rock band. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're, they're the rock band that doesn't reinvent the wheel, but they're so good at what they do that you have to give them their props. Um, Like I don't expect always to top any lists, Mm -hmm. but I think that that they'll be on almost every list. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to accumulate a number, enough, like, you know, number three to number eight type votes where they're like going to just crash the top. Like they're the great unifier. Um, there, there are two band, there are two artists who I'm very curious to like about their performance. The first of which is if you look at like album of the year and also Metacritic, the black country new road album is like the highest of the year. Um, I think like more than any highly acclaimed album, I think more people like absolutely and publicly hate this one than any other. Um, yeah, they're they're like the opposite of always yes. in that I expect them to either top someone's list or not appear on it at all. High like, variance here. Yeah, it's going to be like like if you are in on that record, it's probably your favorite album of the year or it's among your favorite albums of the year or else you aren't into it at all. Mm-hmm. 
I'm somewhat in the middle. I, I I know you love that record. That that might be your favorite album of the year, yes. right? Yeah, it's a, it's definitely up there. And also the fact that you know the lead singers out of the band talk about like killing momentum, but yeah. they're still making great music. I saw them live. Um, I think that maybe I honestly think that their next album might actually do better in the sense that like it'll probably be more approachable. It's a very divisive. Uh, Isaac Woods very divisive as a vocalist and a lyricist. Yeah, that album's a little too much for me, but I I admire what it's doing. Like I like that there's a lot of ideas on that album, mm-hmm. even if from a sit down and listen to a record <laughs> perspective, I, it's not always my bag. Uh-huh. That album. Uh, what was the other one you're curious about? Kendrick Lamar. I think that this uh, one's a real wild card in a weird way. Like the lack of you know damn or to pimp a butterfly type praise that greeted it might actually work in its favor because like a lot of people might be coming out of the woodworks to talk about it as like being misunderstood or underrated look i i listened to it again recently and it's everything i thought it was when i first heard it which is like the first real miss of kendrick lamar's career i don't enjoy like i think it, there's some admirable qualities to it but i don't enjoy listening to it very much i think it's kind of odd that like Maybe one of the most enduring songs is uh, We Cry Together, which is like the five minute like kind of skit where, you know, him and an actress yell at each other. Yeah, I I don't know. That album, I mean, we should have put that in the first category with like the the heavy hitters. It is interesting to think of Kendrick Lamar putting out a out a record and it not automatically being an album of the year candidate. Uh, but I don't think that album is necessarily. It's going to be on list, but I would be... Sh- surprised if it topped like an institutional list it, right it may top some personal list but i don't i i don't see it getting into that area it, it'll be interesting to see in 10 years if that becomes a record that we see think pieces on like oh they underrated this album in in the moment and we can now see that it's a classic it, it might age like that but i think right now i don't know if i would put it in competition with like the beyonce's and Rosalia's of the world. No, uh, but I think in 10 years, I think in 10 years, there's going to be like more to explore with it than those records. So I think it's, yeah. like, I think it's all but guaranteed, especially when you consider the kind of type of person who like obsessively annotates uh, Kendrick Lamar lyrics on uh, genius.com. There is absolutely no doubt like that we are like not, we're, it, it's like a mat, it's like a matter of how many as opposed to if that happens. Yeah, I'll be curious to read those pieces in 10 years. I'm going to be bookmarking my internet browser <laughs> for a decade from now for those think pieces. Uh, I wanted to bring up three records uh, in the indie world that I think will, that I think they could be competitive in the album of the year sweepstakes. All right. Uh, Sudan Archives mm-hmm. uh, currently is tied with Big Thief and Beyonce as the highest rated album from Pitchfork this year, mm-hmm. got a 9.0. Um, I think that record is going to get some love from like the sort of like arty R&B type fan base out there. I, the, I think if you have like sort of the eccentric R&B soul type mm-hmm. artist, that is always critical catnip, you know, and, and it feels like that's that record this year. So I think that record's going to do pretty well. Absolutely. On list. It's weird to describe a Radiohead side project as a dark horse, but I really think that the Smile record could get some love, hmm. maybe more love than you would expect. 
on these year-end lists. It's really, you know, the most fun, I'm putting fun in quote marks, yeah. record from the Radiohead camp since arguably in Rainbows, certainly like the most accessible. Hmm. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who, if they're not putting it at the top of the list, I, I could see them putting it high on a list. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if that record ended up in the Pitchfork Top 10. Oh, I, think I think it's, it's possible. Yeah. I also want to say, I think Barty Strange hmm. could also get some love on, on Indie List. I think his record, Farm to Table, was very critically acclaimed. And it's not going to get wet leg level love, <laughs> but I think it's going to be in the conversation. And I, I could see it being one of the three or four indie records that ends up in like a Rolling Stone top 25. Yeah. And that's going to be the one that tops like, say, chorus.fm or like the alternative. <laughs> right. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. We'll have our own list on this show. But that's our, pro- our, our prognostication here. We're, we're doing the power rankings. I feel pretty good about our, our choices. I don't think we've missed anything obvious. But uh, we'll have to see. If we did, write us a letter. Do your own odds making for uh, the album of the year sweepstakes. Uh, let's get to King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, as I said earlier, this band, they're from Australia. They've put out three albums in October. Uh, back on the 7th, they put out a record called Ice, Death, Planets, Lungs, Mushrooms, and Lava. Mm. On the 12th, they put out a record called Laminated Denim. And today, or the day that this podcast posts, they have a record called Changes. They actually put out two albums earlier in 2022. There was a record called Made in Timeland, came out in March. And then in April, they put out a record, and I got <laughs> to see if I can pronounce this correctly, Omnimum Gatherum. That sounds about very, right. Yeah, very tool-sounding album yes. title. So five albums so far in 2022, and the year isn't over. So there could be more to come from this band. They've put out 23 albums <laughs> since, tw- uh, since 2012, and they've also put out 14 live albums. Um, and as that suggests, you know, obviously they're a very prolific band in the studio, uh, but they're also very well celebrated for their live show, possibly even more celebrated for their live show. Um, I want to get your take on this because this is a band that I've been aware of probably for about five years. And I've always tried to get into them because on paper, they seem like a perfect band for me because you've got the indie rock element of what they do, but then you also have the jam band aspect of what they do. A lot of improvisation, Live on their records, they play a lot of long songs. They have a habit of opening albums with like 18 minute songs, just wild. Um, but you know, I would give them a chance and it never really connected with me. And what it was is that for the longest time, they were making records in that like OCs zone, Mm. you know, that band, the OCs, a band that I like, especially live, but. On record, it can get a little wearying because it's basically this like very hyperkinetic garage rock, sort of like, um, like a Hawkwind type <laughs> sound, you know, but 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 grittier and more garage rock like. And uh, I just felt like the records 
that I heard from King Gizzard, they just weren't that memorable. Like I, I, I liked the idea of what they were doing, but the songwriting didn't really seem like it was there. What's been interesting about the records that they've put out recently, and this is going back into 2021 too, um, they really have become a full-on jam band. They sound, to me, a lot like Goose, a band that I've talked about on the show, probably the biggest young band in the jam band world. And King Gizzard at this point, they're sort of like a more Krautrock version of what Goose does. It's a little harder, a little faster, a little more spacey maybe, but sonically in the same realm. And I have to say, I really like that turn for them. You know, there's a song on their record from earlier this month, the Ice Lungs Yada 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 record <laughs> uh, called uh, uh, Iron Lung. And uh, it's a nine minute song and it's basically a fish song. <laughs> it sounds a lot like fish. And it's funny to me because I read articles about King Gizzard and you can tell when the writer doesn't like jam bands because they will not talk about jam bands in the context of King Gizzard. They'll reference every other kind of music but not talk about jam bands when I think it's clear that – I don't know if they're influenced by jam bands but they are sonically similar to like what a lot of those bands are doing. And, and they've been embraced in that world. You know, there was a, a – you know, they recently played Red Rocks in Colorado, and, and that was a big deal on Nugs.net. They streamed <laughs> that that show. If you go on the Relisten app, which is an app, it's basically like Spotify for streaming bootleg concerts that are on the Live Archive website. On the main page, there's, there's the featured artists, and the featured artists right now are The Grateful Dead, Fish, and King Gizzard. Uh. Like King Gizzard is the third band now that's featured. So there's definitely a big jam band constituency, but there's also a big indie band or indie fans constituency with them. And they just feel like they're the kings right now of indie jam. And I'm glad that I'm finally on board, but I think it took for, it, it, it took for them to take a turn to just become a full-on jam band. I think they are now not just jamming, but they've taken on a lot of the aesthetics of that scene. And... I've just had a monologue about this band. I I, I want to stop talking now because I'm curious what you think of this band because the, especially now they're totally up my alley. Do you feel anything for this band at all? Um, you know, kind of prior to this episode and like, you know, giving a, you know, honest effort to take in these three records as a whole. They're kind of like the embodiment of like that meme. I ain't reading all that. I'm happy for you though. Or sorry <laughs> that happened. Like, I mean, I'm like, I'm like just fascinated with their existence because, uh, as I'm fascinated by like any sort of band, like guitar based band that, uh, thrives outside of the critical like sphere. I mean, what these, what this band does is like, they tie together like three really fascinating threads of music that, uh, seem to be pretty much impervious to trends or critical favor. The first of which you mentioned is like the OCs Thai Seagal type psych rock. Um, then there's like the jam band element and like what they were, maybe it's just the fact that I'm reading rap capital, which is that new book about Atlanta hip hop, but they remind me of like how a lot of rappers just like flood the market. Um, and you know, this book rap capital talks about like how in you know, post outcast Atlanta, it was not, it was more just about like get stuff on streaming, get stuff out there as opposed to like, you know, trying to craft like a Stanconia or an Equimini type classic. Um, 
you know, the, the amount of music that's out there is at, like it, at the same time, like both really accessible and just like mind blowingly intimidating because there's always new music. Like you, there's no time to just like not jump right in. It's like this like really fast going carousel where you can just like hop right on and try to take that ride. Um, I mean, I think that, you, you know, you compared this in your notes to like kind of like a I love this comparison of like a TV show like that you hear so much about where it's like eight seasons will accumulate on like Netflix and you'll hear, no, man, like it really gets good at season two. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You always hear that or, you know, you got to watch six episodes, but yeah. then it really starts to take off. But yeah, you have to wait through like six hours <laughs> of boring TV to get to the good stuff. Yeah. There is an element, certainly, I think of that with King Gizzard. Yeah. And to me, it's also like, but no, not besides that, you also have to listen to the podcasts and like read the message boards. Like, you know, because the albums, as many as there are, um, it's like, oh, but you got to hear them live, which I found it funny that you mentioned Iron Lung is like the fish song because the one right before it, Mycelium, which they, I think that's how you pronounce it. They say it like a hundred times on that. I'm like, as someone who doesn't listen to fish, I'm like, this is what fish sounds like, right? You know, um, but they do kind of take the jam band sound of fish into like more of a uh, kraut rock slash like psych rock slash desert days type um, sound. I think that there to desert days, perhaps what like my morning jacket was for Bonnaroo in that they're <laughs> they're like almost kind of an emblem yeah. of like this uh, pretty massive swath of music listeners that aren't really. Uh, catered to at least in the critical sphere like compared to like a lot of the bands that we talk about here on IndieCast like I could probably think of many more in real life friends that I have who like this band uh, compared to say Always Uh, you know disrespect to Always but it's just like this tends to be like in real life boots on the ground type music Um, yeah I I think that the common thread like when we talk about you know, going beyond just the Desert Days thing, talking about rock bands in recent years that have made like real inroads in building an audience. And you can go beyond talking about a jammy band like King Gizzard to, uh, you know, bands like Idols or, or Turnstile. Mm-hmm. Um, the common thread is that they all have a kick-ass live show, you know, and, and that's the reason why they're really popular. You know, even Turnstile, who, you know, a lot of people like that last Turnstile record, but I feel like their popularity has at least as much to do with people posting videos of turnstile concerts on social media. And you see those clips and like the audience is going ape shit. Mm-hmm. You know, the band is like really energetic and it just looks like something. It looks like a show. It looks like something you want to go pay your money to go see on, on, on a given night. And with King Gizzard, you know, you, you talk about all the albums that they've put out and I don't think that they've made like a masterpiece yet. <laughs> I will say I think the records that they've made this year are among the best ones that I've I've heard. I mean, I can't claim I've listened to all 23 King Gizzard albums, but I do think for instance that the record that came out in April that uh that Omni Omnium Gatherum yes. is probably like their their best record that they've that they've put out so far. Um although I am a fan of Ice Death Planet's Lungs Mushrooms and Lava. Uh, talk about album titles that I'll never remember. Uh, that that's one of them. I'll just call it Ice Death, yada yada yada. Um, 
but it's always going to come back to the live show with, with King Gizzard. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at their Spotify numbers, and I don't think that they have a song. Well, they have one song that has 3 million streams, another song that has 1.8. Okay, so they have some songs that are in the millions of streams, but they th- their streaming numbers do not reflect the venues that they play at. You know, you would think from looking at their streaming numbers that they'd be playing clubs and not headlining Red Rocks. But the reason is, is that there's the, the main focus, I think, of what they do is what they do live. And that is going to enable them to move forward in their career. I think more than any one album. I'd be surprised if there's like an album that becomes like the crossover hit <laughs> with them. I think it really is more about the forward motion. I mean, I will, you know, having said that, I will say again, I think that they are improving. They might be working towards that, but I don't know. Just because of the frequency with which they put out records, it seems unlikely that there's going to be a record that becomes the one that everyone feels like they need to listen to. It's going to be more about the accumulation of music and then going to see them live. I wonder if there is going to come a point where they just become so popular like that. You kind of just have to choose a record. It's like, yeah, we're just going to get behind that one. Like, let's just put our stamp on this one just to say, just to say that we did it. You know, I think, I think it's more likely that people will be like, this show is my favorite. Right. You know, in, in, in the jam band way, like, I mean like the Red Rocks uh, show, I think I'm trying to, I should look this up quick. I don't know if they played more than one show. At Red Rocks, or if it was just one gig, um, I'm googling this now. I think there was. Well, let's see. They played there this month. Looks like they're playing it again next month too. Huh. So they're playing Red Rocks like t- in two consecutive months. So two shows, headline shows, one month apart. Yeah, that's next week that they're going to be playing there again on November second. Um. You know, I know that first show is very well regarded and people will be like, oh yeah, Red Rocks 2022, you know, that's, that's the go-to <laughs> King Gizzard music. Yeah, I could see that happening maybe more than an album being the calling card for them. Yeah, maybe, wait, 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 when we eventually either pivot to sports cast, TV cast, or Gizzard cast, you know, in the next couple of years, we're get, we'll, we'll figure that one out. All right, we now reach the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? So, um, something I got into this week, um, as we kind of pivot more towards year-end list compilation, I, I went back and listened to the Sam Precop, uh, John McIntyre album called Sons Of. That one came out a few months ago, and it was, like, kind of acclaimed in its circles, but, um, uh... You know, when I first heard about it, like, I just kind of assumed it was, you know, because when it's like four songs, 57 minutes, I just assume it's like a bunch of like analog synth uh, improvisation that's just kind of interesting if you're into like analog synths. But it turns out that it's actually really melodic and really like rhythmic and dancey. Um, it was a lot more indie dance or, you know, kind of... Uh, like lo-fi house than I expected and just a really enjoyable uh, record that um, I was really surprised by. Um, And that's kind of how it is with uh, these two particular artists. Um, If you recognize those names, they're big figures in Chicago post-rock from the 90s. 
with like the sea and cake and John McIntyre with like all the production that he does with tortoise. You know, this is the kind of music that just kind of based on what I usually talk about in recommendation corner, like Chicago post-rock would probably be like the last thing I would expect to like, but Man, I just always love this uh, stuff when I hear it, uh, particularly like Tortoise, TNT, like seeing Cake type stuff, Gaster Del Sol. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I may have like hated this stuff if I were actually like a 25 year old uh, indie person in the 90s. But this is like this alongside like 90s IDM is always a style of music that I can go back to whenever I don't know what I want to listen to. Well, that sounds like a cool record. I want to check that out. I think you'll like it. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like I will. I want to talk about a record called Out of Body. It's by a uh, I'll call them a band. It's called Daisy D A Z Y. It's a project spearheaded by a Virginia-based singer-songwriter named James Goodson. Uh, Out of Body is uh, his debut full-length record. And it's super fun and very catchy. It breezes by in 26 minutes. Uh, as soon as it's over, you want to put it on again. I feel like this record will be classified as bedroom pop, but there's a hugeness to this record that I think belies that classification. Uh, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking of it like early car seat headrest if it had been produced by Mutt Lang. <laughs> like it just has like that kind of sheen to it. It's very bright. Again, the hooks are uh, you know they're they're buffed to a high gloss, but it still has that kind of gritty homemade sound to it. It's a really interesting juxtaposition, and I think it adds a lot to the songs. Um, so yeah, I, you know, again, like this is a record that I think you can put on. Enjoy it immediately. It goes by in less than a half hour, and once it's over, you want to put it on again. So I, I've been listening to this record a lot. I think I think it's really good. It's called Out of Body. Out of Body is all one word. Mm. And again, it's Daisy, D-A-Z-Y. Definitely go check them out this week. I have to say too quick that I wrote a big, big feature this week. A list of my favorite Weezer songs. I feel like that is relevant to the interests of the people who listen to the show. So if you want to read that article, go to Uprocks and you can ingest 7,400 words of Weezer analysis into your veins this weekend. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's the King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard release slate of like lists. There you go. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 